Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Who are college football's tightrope teams? And you know what I'm talking about. That team that's probably a few steps away from achieving greatness to get into the ultimate destination or potentially couple missteps here that line gets a little bit wobbly and then we have a whole other conversation welcome into the hard count you have so much going on i've received tweets from y'all or dms from y'all about where when and how you listen to the hard count whether it's on podcast or whether you're tuning on youtube some of y'all are getting it at the gym right now you got one more set finish strong some of y'all are at work right now finishing out kind of just mindless work that you're not enjoying but this is the escape for all of us here we're just talking college football right now for the next hour or so so kick them up maybe don't kick them up if you're at the gym and finishing that last set so we appreciate you for that we're glad to have you here all right we got the voice of college football People throw around the term GOAT kind of loosely nowadays. I assure you that's not the case when we talk about this person. The GOAT when it comes to the college football landscape, Kirk Herbstreet. We sat down with him yesterday just in absolutely elite conversation. We sat down with him at the On3 NIL Elite Series, as fate would have it, and we talked ball everything from Nebraska to Tennessee to Ohio State to Michigan. Like He just went all around the country with us. Really excited for y'all to hear this one. Could could not be more excited about the way that conversation went. And again, like I said, for y'all to hear that. So make sure you're locked in for that one. That's in just a few short minutes. This wasn't this thing where we sat down and did a Zoom call either. Like Kirk Herbstreit was in Nashville. We sat at this desk in the hallway of a hotel room. Nick Bragg, Trey Anity, absolutely grinding to get that done. Excited for y'all to see that one. Also, at that event... It was just like an absolute like who's who when it comes to the recruiting landscape. We had five-star plus Colin Simmons, five-star plus K.J. Bolden. You had Ryan Puglisi, the Georgia commit at quarterback that sat down with us. We sat down with a ton of these top prospects across the country, asked them about NIL, asked them about their recruitment. Josh Newberg, a national recruiting analyst for us here at On3, going to join the show after that Kirk Herbstreit interview. And we're going to talk about what we learned. Jeremiah Smith, another five-star plus player, the number one wide receiver in this 2024 cycle. He's committed to Ohio State, but he told Josh and I a little bit about where his recruitment stands right now and some trips that he plans to take. So you don't want to miss that one. A ton of five-star intel that's going to impact your future team. I promise you this. Even if you don't really keep up with recruiting that closely, recruiting is the lifeblood of college football. So whatever happens today on the recruiting trail impacts your team's college football playoff chances in the coming seasons. Just ask Georgia, just ask Alabama, just ask all those teams that are competing for national titles year in and year out. So to wrap this thing up, we got to talk about the SEC West. We dipped our toe into the SEC East on our previous live show. But on this live show, I want to take a trip out to the SEC West. We need some answers. Got some question marks around some of the top teams, LSU being one of them. A lot of people, I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction right now, SEC Media Day. They're going to predict LSU to win the SEC West. Now, Alabama, 
lot of people seem to be forgetting that Nick Saban is still the head coach there, even with all the newness. We got some questions around the SEC West, not just specifically to LSU and Bama. I'm excited to talk about that. Also, get in your questions right now if you're in the live chat. That's one of the beautiful things about being tuned in live on the YouTube channel. We get to have this interaction in real time. So get your questions in, get your takes in, get into that live chat right now. Nick Brake, the keeper of the queue, about to break that down for us here. We'll chop it up like hibachi. It'll be a real good time. Before we get rolling here, I just got to spotlight our team real quick. I got to spotlight our guys in the production that have been grinding the last couple of days. Like I said, we were on location. It was a phenomenal event, first of its kind in NIL education. On three, put it on. Grant Furking, Shannon Terry, par for the course, knocked it out of the park. Nick Brake, I think for the majority of, I guess it was Tuesday, just sitting in the corner of the room, working production, working audio, and just was hunkered down for like nine, ten hours straight. Dude's an absolute machine. Trey Yannity chopping up, editing things. I don't think he slept till like 3 or 4 a.m. on Tuesday, then came back that next morning on Wednesday, and we had more interviews and more production stuff. Like, just can't say enough good things about the team we have here. Very, very grateful. Wanted to get that in at the top of the show before we got rolling here. Got some ballers on this team. I'll just leave it at that. All right, let's jump into this now. Tightrope teams. When it comes to the college football landscape in 2023, so what, what is a tightrope team? Let's unpack that a little bit. A tightrope team, in my mind, is a team in college football that's sort of walking that wire, going towards what they want to accomplish, whether it's a national title, whether it's a conference title. But while they're taking those steps towards that destination, it's not a broad path. Like I just said, it's, it's a tightrope now. One false step one way or the other, and we got a different conversation about that team's fate. So... The way that I see it, I didn't want to say boom or bust because I don't think that really fits with these teams, but you get the picture. Walking towards greatness, but the margin for error is very, very slim from where I'm sitting. So the first tightrope team I want to talk about, we're in the Volunteer State. Coming to you live from Nashville, just up the road is Knoxville. The Tennessee Vols, man, y'all know I am high on the Vols. I believe in Josh Heupel. He came on this very program. I believe in his vision. I believe in the trajectory of that team. But what is the bet? that all of us are making on Tennessee if we're picking them to do some good things in 2023. Goes back to Joe Milton. Hendon Hooker was that dude in 2022. The offense was rolling in 2022, but now Jalen Hyatt gone to the league. Hendon Hooker gone to the league. So you're making your bet on Joe Milton being able to pick up where he left off. And we talked to Kirk Herbstreet about this one, but you're also betting the defense is going to improve along with the way the offense continues to trend upward. Like you're probably betting for Tennessee to be somewhere in the range of 40 points a game, and you're betting that Tennessee improves like 5 to 10%. Well, here's my question. Here's why they're a tightrope team in my mind. I believe Joe Milton's going to be really good. But if Joe Milton isn't really good, well, then what happens? A lot of this offense goes through the quarterback. They're not asking Joe Milton to be a game manager. And if Joe Milton doesn't have the success that we think he's going to have, well, then that defense, there's a lot more pressure on them to perform and to hold teams to a lower point total and to be a little bit more secure in that secondary. So I think they're going to be good. But you understand that tightrope gets a little bit wobbly if Joe Milton doesn't end up being who we think he's going to be and the pressure goes back on that defense. That's a lot more responsibility, a lot more weight on that defense. 
than you would like. Tennessee, without a doubt, a tightrope team. Everyone tuned in live. We appreciate y'all, man. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you're locked in right here. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram, at JDPacel. We appreciate you in advance for that. Moving right along, another tightrope team we got to talk about. Let's go out to Chapel Hill. The Tar Heels of North Carolina are a tightrope team for me. They won six games last year by one score. Competed for an ACC title. Didn't end up working out how you would like if you're in North Carolina. But your bet for North Carolina is that Drake May is going to propel you to greatness. I think they're somewhere in Vegas, anywhere around like nine, maybe eight and a half wins, I think is the number for them right now, preseason for the over-under win total. If you're taking the over, you believe, okay, Drake May's that guy. He's going to live up to the billing that we at On3 believe he's going to be, being a, a top two player in the country, according to our good friend StatCat that works here at On3. The belief is that Drake May is going to be that dude. Now, the reason why they're a tightrope team is if he is that dude, okay, great. Maybe you're talking about that win total. Maybe you're talking about being back in the ACC title game. The reason why I am a little bit slower to jump on that hype train is because the defense is not good. Okay, defense allowed over 200 yards rushing a game, I believe. The defense was the Achilles heel. You also lose Josh Downs. Big-time wide receiver to the NFL. You lose your offensive coordinator and Phil Longo, who was the architect behind that offense. If Drake May doesn't perform how we believe he could perform, same thing I said with Tennessee. The pressure, responsibility goes back to that defense, and you don't feel good about that for your defense. You don't feel good about that if you're a North Carolina fan. Now, if Drake May just takes over and takes his game to a new level, whole conversation doesn't matter. North Carolina is going to be really good. But I'm just saying, if, even if Drake May just performs the same way he did last year, even if they find themselves in six one-score games, let's say they lose three of those. Let's say they lose four of those. Different conversation around North Carolina and where they fall in the ACC. Let's show some love here to a former Group of Five team now. The UCF Knights, Gus Malzahn, John Rice Plumley making the move to the Big 12. Now, Make sure we're all on the same page here. For those of you that don't follow the group of five so closely, UCF almost won the American Athletic Conference last year. Played Tulane twice, gave them a game both times, lost them in that title game for the conference. UCF is now joining the Big 12 Conference. UCF, a season ago, went 9-5. and five. Good ball club. If you're making a bet on UCF, you're saying, well, John Rice Plumley and Gus Malzahn's offense... Once they get rolling here, once that really starts to click and shift into gear, UCF's going to be dangerous. UCF's going to score over 30 points a game. Yet again, I hear you. I understand that. But you're taking this house, this operation that UCF was in the American Athletic Conference, and you're moving it to a whole different neighborhood in the Big 12. How does that translate? If they're able to score over 30 points a game again, they're able to have a solid defense like they did last year. They got 70% of that production coming back that only allowed 24 points a game. If the defense is solid and holds up in the new Power 5 conference, well, then great. You're, you're probably putting money down on UCF to do some good things. But if not, if that new competition level and that talent level you're playing against roster to roster week in and week out in the Big 12, well, then... UCF, that's a reason why they're on the tightrope. Maybe they take a step back as they transition to a Power 5 conference. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. 
All right, UCF, absolutely a tightrope team. Last tightrope team for you. We're going to jump on out to the West Coast, the best coast, if you will, and go take a look at the UCLA Bruins, Chip Kelly's UCLA Bruins. Chip Kelly, what is he known for? Explosive offense after explosive offense after explosive offense. Well, the unfortunate reality is you lose a lot of those guys to the NFL. The good news is you went into the portal and got some dudes for you. One of them being Carson Steele, big time running back from Ball State, made a lot of noise in the matching. You also went and got Colin Schley, who is potentially going to be your starting quarterback, or it's going to be Dante Moore. Five-star true freshman. So when it comes to UCLA, you bring back a lot on the defense production-wise, but the, the whole hope behind UCLA is that that offense is going to score points how they've scored points under Chip Kelly. DTR is gone, but you feel okay about who you have stepping in at quarterback. Quarterback-friendly offense. Offense goes through the quarterback. But even so, you're putting a lot of your hope on a transfer quarterback transferring now to the Power Five is Colin Schley, or a true freshman. Talented true freshman, who I think is the future in Westwood, but still is a true freshman. Hasn't played a down of college football yet. UCLA could make some noise in the Pac-12. Pac-12 is going to be brutal this year. I also think it's pretty wide open. Even so, just take a look at where you're putting your bets and how stable those places are within the roster that you're placing your bets. Offensive you know, production they've... Now retool through the portal and some of the guys that they have that could start as a true freshman, Dante Moore being one of them. So keep an eye on UCLA. They're fascinating to me. They allowed 31 points a game last year defensively. I don't love that. don't feel great about that. But even so, with the nature of the Pac-12, I'm not counting out Chip Kelly, and I'm not counting out what Dante Moore could be, UCLA tightrope team. To recap it for you, our tightrope teams, Tennessee, what's Joe Milton going to be? I'm curious to see. Is he able to take some pressure off that defense or defense, as some people like to call it? North Carolina, they won six games by one score. You lose some key pieces. Your offensive coordinator, big-time wide receiver. Defense has got to hold up there under the bargain, and Drake May has got to take his game to new heights, which is saying something for how talented he is and how well he played a season ago. UCF making the move now. No longer in the Group of Five neighborhood. Welcome to the Power Five and the Big 12. Did some good things in the Group of Five, but... How do you translate when you play better rosters week in and week out? Then lastly, UCLA. Love Chip Kelly. Love Dante Moore. Heck, I even like Colin Schley. How quickly does that work? And are they able to start fast and, and be a team that's competitive right away in the Pac-12? Or is it some growing pains and we got to figure it out with the portal and a new quarterback? What does that look like? I'm fired up to watch it. Tightrope teams for 2023 without a doubt. All right, we're going to keep on rolling here. If you have not yet liked the video, would encourage you to do so. We are going to try and keep this streak going. Last couple of times we've been live on the air, we've gotten 100 likes. So the challenge right now, let's get to 100 likes. I've seen us do it. I've got faith in our audience. I've seen what we're capable of day in and day out. Go ahead, hit that thumbs up button under the video. It helps us. It's free. It's a good deal for all parties, right? So the program thanks you in advance for that. This was probably my favorite conversation we've been able to have on this show, and that's saying something because we've talked to some elite head coaches. I said it to open this whole live show up. People throw around the term GOAT probably too casually, but Kirk Herbstreet 
is the GOAT. College game day is one of those things that is just, in my mind, one and the same when it comes to a college football Saturday. A lot of y'all would venture to say, think about that the same way. This man is living jet life every single Saturday, every single week. He's going to the biggest game in the country, and that biggest game that he's at that morning, he may be calling a different game that Saturday night. So with that being said, Excited for y'all to hear this conversation. We go all over the country here talking college football. Here is the man, the myth, the legend, the voice of college football, Kirk Herbstreet. We are here at the On3 NIL Elite Series with the man who is synonymous with college football. You wake up on a Saturday morning. He's on college game day. He's calling the biggest game of the week that day. None other than Kirk Herbstreet. Kirk, how are we doing? doing? Glad to have you here, man. Glad to have you back in Nashville. Yeah, it's nice to be back. Still at my home here. Yeah, I was going to say, does it feel yeah. kind of like weird? Is it like seeing an old <laughs> friend? Like, it's good to be back? Yeah, it's such a great town. Uh, we moved here in 2011. And so we um, were here for about 10 years. And I moved, I have four sons. My, I moved my youngest son up to St. X, up in Cincinnati. He's a rising junior. So uh, two more years of Cincinnati, and then we'll move back to Nashville. Phenomenal. Yeah, well, it's good I to be back. I want to talk some ball with you just all across the country. Before we get to that, though, you wrote a book called Out of the Pocket. You talk about your playing style and how you feel like it actually lends itself more to the modern game yeah. than maybe at that point in time. So I had to ask you, what offensive coordinator <laughs> does a college Kirk Herbstreit fit best with? Well, I would say the Joe Moorhead offense when he was at Penn State. Okay. That would be the offense. Or Chip Kelly when he was at Oregon. Running that, gun, yeah. up-tempo. Uh, yeah, like like just a, the zone read game, RPO game, uh, running and throwing. I was more of a dual guy when yeah. you're supposed to be a seven-step drop-back guy. <laughs> so I, I would have loved the offenses in today's game. But yeah, Chip Kelly uh, with Oregon and, and Joe Moorhead when he had Trace McSorley. Yeah, that was yeah. an explosive offense. Yeah. So, awesome. Well, we'll start would with Would have helped to have Saquon. Yeah. Although I, I had Eddie George and Robert Smith, who were two pretty good backs. And yeah. there's this. Not a bad situation at all. Yeah. Well, another program that has two pretty good backs, Michigan. Yeah. Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum, back-to-back Big Ten titles. What's it going to take for them to get over the hump and win a national title? You know, when I hear over the hump, I think they should have been in the national championship last year. I mean, I respect TCU. Let's face it. I think you and I and everybody that watched that game, we were impressed with what we saw from, from TCU that game and, you know, the way they made so many explosive plays. But I think going into it, I think if we thought about that Michigan was going to win the game. Um, and so to think, what do they have to do to get over the hump? I, I would have said that after they lost to Georgia in the fashion in which they did. But against TCU, man, I, I just feel like just a couple plays here or there. So I don't think they change a whole lot of anything. You mentioned the one-two punch in the backfield. The way they've recruited in recent years, they've got great skill on the outside. They're always going to have linemen. And then J.J. is, is I think, proven himself to be a, a guy that you can win a lot of games with. So I think they're – in a great spot, you know, and, and they get Ohio State at home. So, you know, it's it's Jim, I feel like, has taken his program to the highest level that, that it's been at since, he, since he's been in Ann Arbor. And uh, if they can stay healthy, they're going to have a real shot this year. I mean, they got J.J. McCarthy coming back. Yeah. Tennessee, unfortunately, doesn't have that luxury. Joe Milton going to be the starter for them in Knoxville. What are your expectations for him as they try and pick up where they left off in 2022? Well, it, everybody looks at Joe Milton since he was at Michigan – and sees him throw the ball 75 or 80 yards. And 
guy's crushing those chairs. <laughs> uh, sees, 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 sees him throw it 75 or 80 yards and just thinks, oh, my gosh, yeah, this guy's going to be better than what we had last year with, with Hooker. I don't I, – I, I he had a great bowl game against Clemson. But with him, it's not about his physical ability. It's just about the consistency with his accuracy. So if he can be what we saw against Clemson, then it's like, here we go. You know, just they're not going to miss a beat. Uh, and that offensive style, I'm going to predict right now. Let's see, Oklahoma runs it, a version of it. Mm -hmm. Ole Miss runs it. You know, TCU is going to be running it. I mean, there's versions of it out there. I call it the Art Riles offense, essentially, from yeah. the Baylor days. Yeah. Where they, you know, you receiver it on literally two yards off the sideline over here, two yards off the sideline over here, spread you out, create those vertical seams. And then depending on what alignment the defense is in, you're either going to run the ball with a light box, or if they overload, now you can hit the one-on-one -on -one shot. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see more and more of that offense in college football. Milton has that offense to his advantage. Um, they'll have great receivers. They lose a couple. But I think um, I want to see him be more consistent. Like I said, decision-making and accuracy, we know what he can do with the ball in his hands. It's funny. Everybody says that offense is so quarterback-friendly. Like it's like a negative thing. Yeah. I'm like, scores a lot of points. <laughs> a lot of people are running that offense. I think offense. people are going to start to mimic it. I think a lot of people are going to study what Tennessee did last year. And they're going to try to create those one-on-one. -on -one. You said you spent a lot of time down in Waco. You know yep. about that offense. Yep. Um, and as a defensive guy, you're always one man short. If you're light in the boxing, you got a line. And if you have a quarterback like last year with Hooker, you're always short. So you got to get a safety down. And now you're playing zero. And now you got to find one receiver who can win one-on-one. -on -one. So I – Strike up the band. I, yeah. I, I like that offense. I think you'll see more and more of it this year. Without a doubt. Well, yeah. Nebraska – don't know if they'll be running that kind of offense, but Matt Rule, the new head coach there, mm -hmm. what's it going to take for them to get back to their former glory? How do you see him fitting in Lincoln? Well, you're talking to a massive Matt Rule fan. You know, I'm a big believer in him and the culture that he creates. I'll be more surprised if he can't do it than if he can. You know, I, I – um, and, again, I thought when Scott Frost went back home, I thought it would click too. I mean, they, they have resources. They have history and tradition. Now, people will say in 2023, they're in Lincoln, Nebraska. Who wants to go and play there? But if you have the right coach who can create that energy, then I think you can bring recruits in. I think he'll recruit Texas. I think he'll get into Southern California. I think he'll get even try to get into Florida and New Jersey, going back to the Tom Osborne glory days. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying this year, here they come, but you're going to start to see some signs of Nebraska starting to kind of be like, mm. and I think he's going to recruit. Again, he did it at Baylor. When he went to Baylor – I don't think anybody thought Baylor would be able to win any games. No. And he got them no. competing for Big 12 championships. So the guy will do it, knows how to coach, knows how to recruit. Um, he's coming. I just don't know when it's going to be. Feels like he creates structure. Yeah. And that's really what Nebraska 100%. needs from the outside looking yeah. in, at least. And, I mean, yeah. I'm excited to see what he does. I am, too. Now, Texas, obviously, very polarizing brand. Probably one of the most high-profile quarterback rooms in all yeah. the country with Arch Manning in there, Quinn Ewers in there. What did you think of the critiques around Arch Manning's spring game? Well, he's been on campus for a few weeks, and we're going to sit there and have you know, definitive comments about who he is. I wasn't surprised. I mean, people – and, again, it's the world we're in. Like, what's the latest name? I mean, Quinn Ewers was the most anticipated brand name to come out of high school football in forever. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, here comes Arch Manning, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. What about Arch? It's like, wait, the guy you just threw to the side, he's supposed to be really good. Yeah. You know, and talking and listening to, to the Texas folks off the air – it sounded like it was pretty obvious. You know, the Quinn and the experience, think about what he's been through. Went to Ohio State as a, essentially a senior in high school, ends up going back, transfers to Texas, back home. 
deals with a lot of scrutiny. And what that does is that hardens you. You know what I mean? You know from being around this game, and, and when you can become a hardened veteran, you become a different guy. And not to mention how he played last year. There were some ups, but there were some downs. And he had to endure that. So what you see now, even though he's only in the first year of getting done, is a guy that's been through it, and I think it allows him to play at a different level of maturity. Arch has probably got a really bright future, but for me, right now it's Quinn Ewers' chance. It's his opportunity. It's his team. And until he leaves, I think that'll be the case. And then we'll see what Arch can do down the road. Without question. Oklahoma, 6-7 and seven last year, year one under Brent Venables. The preseason win total for them is set at like nine and a half wins. For you, how do you think Oklahoma factors into the Big 12 title race this coming season? Um, you know, the big thing is for me, it's Brent Venables' second year. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know what? It's like that first year, you know, and think about what happened with OU, with Caleb Williams leaving, leaving with Lincoln Riley, and it was just like, what, what are we doing? Where's this thing going to go? And he has to, even though he's an OU guy with his background, he still had to kind of like just calm the waters a little bit, which I think he's done. And now it's a matter of, okay, now you're starting to bring in your guys. Now the turnover is a little bit more the way kind of your identity. And he's such a – Brent, because of not his t- just his time with Bob and Norman, but I think really he changed as a coach and how he looks at things when he went to work for Dabo. And I think now he, he understands the importance – of loving on the kids and the culture. And that takes time sometimes to really seeing the, the rewards of that uh, take place. So I, I think if they can get good play out of the quarterback spot. I think they're going to be good enough around the quarterback. Um, that they're, they're all, I think they're gifted enough. They're always going to be a factor in the Big 12. I mean, One last yeah. year before they – yeah, they go to the big boys. That's where we were going. I feel like yeah. looking at my notes down here. I mean, that, that's that's the next thing for them, and maybe why there's such a sense of urgency maybe within that fan base because they're getting to the SEC, them in Texas, waiting for them, Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, yeah. they're back-to-back national champs. How do they look this year maybe compared to the last two years where they've won the national title? Well, they've lost so much. The culmination of the last two years um, is just a reality when you win – that many championships back-to-back, which we haven't seen in so long. And it's not just a class from two years ago when the Kobe Dean and that group, where all those guys from the defense were first round, I think five from the first round that year. But I think then the guys that, that a lot of those guys that stepped in last year, and they had a chip on their shoulder, and they were anxious to prove to people that we can still play defense, even though we lost those guys. Now some of those guys go as well. So you're really looking at a, a new wave. Stetson Bennett's no longer there. Um, some new skill. Now, what I love is, to Kirby's credit, what he learned from Nick Saban is avoiding complacency, mm-hmm. finding a way to get a team tweaked, kind of like upset. People don't believe in you. People mm-hmm. don't, like this year, he, I mean, <laughs> he was talking about, we try to tell you guys, everybody doubted us. I'm like, what were you, preseason three, right. two? I mean, no one doubted you. But he, to his credit, he found a way to get 18 to 22-year-old kids to buy into. They doubt you. They don't believe in you. You're the defending champ. You know, everyone believed in him. Mm-hmm. And he'll find another way this year to get his team mad at the world. So give him a lot of credit for coming up with a way to manipulate kind of the back-to-back defending champs. You don't have the guts to go three in a row or whatever <laughs> it's going to be. But uh, he'll have a team, as always, the way they recruit. But will it come together, you know, to make a run to get to all the way to the end? The chemistry's got to come together, which they've had for two straight years. And also, can, can Beck be that guy we, we know about his talent, mm-hmm. but now that it's his turn, um, 
they lose a great leader, one of the best we've seen in, in, in Stetson Bennett. So I want to see what Carson Beck can do. You mentioned Nick Saban, obviously Kirby Smart, having coached under him. He doesn't need to look for any motivation with the way that people are talking about his team right yeah. now. Kind of a reset of sorts, it feels like. I mean, new quarterback, new D.C., new O.C. What do you make of Alabama this year? Whenever what you just described, whenever that happens in Tuscaloosa, if you're going to Vegas, the sand, that would be a team I would not want to question. Mm -hmm. Whenever they have a few losses or whenever they don't quite chase their goals the previous year, and whenever, oh, they got a new this and a new that and a new quarter, it's like, oh, boy, Nick Saban's in trouble. I'm telling you, I don't. He's he's got the same energy he's had since 2009 when he won his first title against Texas. He's got great players like he had in 09, maybe better. He's got a team that's going to be upset with a chip on their shoulder. As we sit here, what what are we? May 31. It's hard for me not to lean towards Alabama in the SEC just because of what you described. Now you got LSU who made incredible strides in that first year with Brian Kelly. Got a lot coming back from that team. They beat Bama last year. They got to go to Tuscaloosa. So I would, I would, those three are going to be everybody's three. As we sit here right now, I'm going to wait to see where we are in August. But I would be in that Bama LSU just a little bit ahead of Georgia um, as we get ready for, you know, getting into the summer months. And you mentioned LSU, Brian Kelly. I mean, he's been there all of a year, and there's already the pressure of yeah. when we get a national title. The guys before Florida you State. did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you got Florida State week one, probably the most anticipated game other than, you know, Coach Prime, what he's doing. An LSU-Florida State game I feel like has some some excitement. Mm -hmm. But, man, when you beat Alabama and you, and you really outkick your coverage on what the expectations were, I, I feel like you're at LSU, the history of what the coaches have done with Coach O and Les mm -hmm. Miles, it's pretty natural to expect that. But I think he's built for it. That guy, you imagine being the head coach at Notre Dame as long as he did. He, he's dealt with everything. So um, I think he'll, he'll be fine. I think LSU's got some players. If they win that first game against Florida State, they'll be dangerous. No, without question. Kirk, yeah. we appreciate all your time. You got it. Last question for you. You're on the mater. Buckeyes, like you said, it's May. Is there a feel to who could start at quarterback I, there right I now? I don't think they even know. I really don't. I, I think you got two guys that are more than capable. Mm. Ohio State's been pretty spoiled at that spot with their receivers since Ryan Day's taken over. Mm. They're, they're going to find a way to, to put a lot of points on the board, which regardless of which guy wins it. Um, I, I think he'll go into summer camp. He'll have those scrimmages. And then I wouldn't be shocked if they used the first two or three games to kind of like mm. let these guys maybe play it out. It's hard to make a big decision like that from a scrimmage in the summer. It's only fair. Like what Jim Harbaugh did last year. Right. You know, give a guy a, a half or a game. Give the other guy the same thing. And then I think it's easier to make the decision. Without question. Yeah. Well, Kirk, like I said, we appreciate all your time. Yeah. appreciate you making it on here. Yeah. Congrats and on everything. Hey, thank you job. so much. Thank yeah. you so much. We're excited to have you back yeah. on the television screens here very, very soon. Yeah, it'll be soon. Kirk Herbstreit, man, I'm telling you, the best to ever do it. Absolute pleasure to have him on the program. Absolute pleasure to sit down with him and pick his brain. I mean, what more do you say? The best to ever do it. Pretty straightforward. Also, another individual who is the best to ever do it in his own right, man, the myth, the legend, national recruiting analyst for On3. We killed a lot of time this Tuesday and Wednesday and throughout the week getting ready for this On3 NI Elite Series event. Josh Newberg. Josh, how we doing, man? Oh, I'm great. Uh, great experience. Proud to be a part of the On3 family after such a 
just special event that was put on in Nashville over the week. Um, can't say enough about it, but we're going to get into it right now. I say we killed a lot of time. That probably isn't the right way to say it. We were just rolling through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Tuesday and Wednesday were like the real meat of our yeah. time there. I mean, we sat down with, if it wasn't 30, it was close to 30 of the top prospects in the country, Josh. And there is a lot of things that we got to take away from that event in terms of these kids and where the recruitment stands right now. So like you said, let's jump right into it. Our last interview of the day was potentially the most insightful interview of the day. And we sat down with five-star plus wide receiver, top dog in the country at the wide receiver position, Jeremiah Smith. Josh, he came in with the Ohio State smock. And men lie, women lie, but bags don't lie. He also came in with an Ohio State backpack and a Georgia duffel bag. Thoughts on Jeremiah Smith and maybe just how you feel overall about his recruitment after that event? He keeps them guessing, doesn't he? He does, uh, man. <laughs> Jeremiah Smith committed Ohio State since December, but is taking visits. He'll be at UF this weekend. He's been to Georgia. He's going to also, he told us, going to schedule official visits to UF or I'm sorry, Miami and Florida State. So mm -hmm. he'll visit the three in-state schools in the state of Florida. Georgia, maybe more, but Ohio State is where he's committed. Now, Ohio State fans have been, well, you got two sides of it. You know, you got the fans that are ready to jump ship because he's taking visits, but then you got the other side, who's a majority of the fans, who think, well, he's going to stay committed to us. I mean, look what happened last year with Brandon Innes, kind of the same story. Mm -hmm. Rumors all summer that Brandon Innes was going to look around. He was going to end up flipping. Brandon Innes signs with Ohio State in the end. Well, Jeremiah Smith had the opportunity to maybe put Ohio State fans' minds at ease when he sat down with us, but he did confirm that he's going to make a, quote, final decision in December before signing day, which means while he's holding his spot on the Ohio State commit list, he is open and looking at other programs. That's one of those guys, too, that if somebody else wants to look around, you say, okay, well, if you're a staff, maybe we'll look around too, but not the top wide receiver in the country, Jeremiah Smith. If he wants to go and play the field a little bit and look around, you say, Jeremiah, that's great. We have a spot for you when you get here. I would have a difficult time. I don't know if imagining is the right word, but I mean, Brian Hartline is just that guy. So if Jeremiah Smith were to leave Ohio State, I think that would be That'd be not surprising, but I just I have a hard time seeing Brian Hartline let a guy like this get away. But anytime you hear final decision, that's, that's well, it's never a great thing. I think it's a leverage play. Sure. I don't think that he's doing this because you know he doesn't know what he's he knows exactly what he's doing. He's the number one wide receiver in America. He's the number two player overall. He has the leverage to do what he wants. And I think in this day and age of of college sports, you should take advantage of that. Now whether or not he ends up flipping, I don't know, but they are giving him the space, meaning Ohio State is giving him the space to take these trips. Another one of the top dogs that we sat down with, five-star plus edge, Colin Simmons. Josh, he told you, I guess he told us, I was sitting there too, but you asked a great question, who's your leader right now? He pondered, he thought about it. You could tell he didn't necessarily want to give a, a super clear lean as to where he is right now, because maybe he's not even sure. But he said Texas and LSU are the two that are front-running for him right now. Not a huge surprise, but what do you make of his recruitment right now, Josh? Uh, I, I thought that he did have a leader. That's why I kind of pressed him on it. He, he, you know, nobody asks those questions anymore in recruiting. It's kind of weird. Like, nobody asks the recruits, who, who's your leader? And the reason I asked it is because Colin Simmons has had the opportunity to take a bunch of visits. He went to a lot of places in the spring, got to see a lot of schools firsthand, 
And I know it's the midpoint of his recruitment, and that's how I prefaced it. At the midpoint of your recruitment, who leads? Let's be honest here for a second. And he was, and he said that it's Texas and LSU at the top. Not unsurprising, but I do think, you know, Texas A&M, Florida, I think in the end, you know, Georgia and Alabama could come knocking. And I think in the fall, we're going to see if, Texas and LSU are still considered the leaders by the time we get to like October, November, because he's most likely going to make a December decision. And honestly, I don't think Colin Simmons recruitment is really going to start until December. Wide receiver Mike Matthews also sat down with us. Feels like it's a kind of back and forth between Clemson and Tennessee. I mean, Alabama could get in the mix. Talked about wanting to take a visit there at some point towards the end of June. What did you think about Mike Matthews? You put in a pick, actually, right after he sat down with us. Yeah, a little behind the scenes on that. Well, we sat down, and before the cameras started, I had my computer up, and Mike Matthews saw that his, uh, his player profile was on my computer. And I noticed that he was looking at it, so I pointed at the recruiting prediction machine where it had, I believe, Clemson as the leader. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I said, hey, do you agree with that? And he looked at it. And he said, nah, he goes, I I think Tennessee should be on top. And I go, oh, really? He goes, yeah, and I think Alabama should be a little higher. I said, oh, okay. So what if I put in a pick for for Tennessee? And he kind of gave me like, he didn't confirm it, but I thought he gave me a head nod. Maybe I'm wrong, (laughs) but I thought he gave me a head nod. So I went ahead and I put in a pick for Tennessee. Uh, I told him I was going to put in a pick for Tennessee. I tweeted that I put in a pick for Tennessee. He retweeted me. He liked the tweet. So, hey, we're all on board with that. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Like you said to a lot of these kids, Josh, still so early in these kids' recruitment. But even so, I mean, for Tennessee to be that firmly in the mix for another big-time wide receiver, you got to be excited if you're on Rocky Top. I want to make sure we go quickly here so we don't take too much of your time, Josh, because we could probably kill a full three hours going through all of these kids' recruitments. But Brandon Baker, the top offensive tackle in the country, he had something to say about where he sat with with on threes rankings. He's like, man, I got me number, number four offensive tackle. Like, hey, Brandon's still very early. You know, Charles Power, I'm telling you, best in the business. Like, trust the process here a little bit. And he, you know, I think he wasn't upset by that. But you could tell, I mean, just competitive guy, wants to be the top offensive tackle. And look at the industry rankings. He's the top offensive tackle right now. Yeah, he, he again, I had my computer screen up. We were about to do the interview. He <laughs> saw it. He goes, hey, he goes, do you guys really think? He goes, you guys think I'm number four? And it wasn't like he was, he wasn't challenging us. It was almost to me, JD, like he was making a mental note. Like, oh, okay, they think I'm four. Okay. Like, he didn't challenge right. us in any way. He just wanted to know, like, you guys really think I'm four, not one? So I like that. Uh, and then what, what do we gain from his recruitment? I was a little surprised when you asked him about USC. It didn't seem, because, you know, there's, there's a pipeline from his high school. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like things are that hot and heavy compared to some of the other programs we talked about. Georgia, Oregon. He told me his two sleepers were Tennessee and Florida State. Mm -hmm. But USC, it didn't sound like things are really hot between the two of them just yet. Which is kind of bizarre because I think he's been there eight, maybe nine times or nine with an official visit if he were to go there for an official visit. But yeah, USC, you thought maybe would be a little bit more in the mix given their proximity. But yeah, Josh Brandon Baker. Again, I don't think he has a visit scheduled to USC. He Fact does, check me on that. He does not, but he mentioned in our interview that, yeah, I'll, I'll probably set one up. 
So nine unofficial visits to USC. I mean, that's, that's a lot of visits, a lot of visits. But yeah, Brandon Baker, we're sticking with that whole theme of backpacks don't lie. Had an Oregon backpack. So take of that as you will. KJ Bolden, top safety in the country. Yeah. We sat down with him. Now he will have gone to Georgia after this official visit 14 times. Josh, how much stock do you put into that? Where do you see his recruitment standing after us getting a chance to talk to him? He, he'll be at Georgia by the end of this weekend 14 times, and this includes the fact that he said he had to detach himself from mm -hmm. Georgia throughout the spring so that he could take a look at other schools. So it shows you that even when he let go of Georgia, he's coming back to Georgia. So I like where the dogs stand. I think Ohio State would probably be my dark horse pick right now. He's got family member coach in there. He's definitely got some connections. He's going to take an official visit to the Buckeyes, but – in the end, I think the dogs are just going to be hard to beat for the number one safety in America. It'll be tough to be. I mean, that, that many times, also they're in his backyard to get that many visits. I mean, it's curious. I know Clemson, I think, is also getting an official visit yep. here pretty soon as well. That's on deck for him. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens there, Josh. Josh, before we get you out of here, curious to hear who was maybe the most intriguing slash fascinating. doesn't have to be the player specifically, but maybe just the conversation. Could be committed, could be uncommitted. Just from the whole event, what were your thoughts? There? Oh, man. Uh, some of the guys that we talked to that I really was intrigued by that we already mentioned was K.J. Bolden, Colin Simmons. Love their, their candor and just their ability to kind of express themselves with some humor. Uh, Dylan Stewart, you know, we gained – Dylan Stewart, hard, <laughs> hard to crack him for some answers, but – we did get something big because just a couple weeks ago, he was telling Chad Simmons that, he's, that he was going to make a decision in August before his senior year. But he sat down with us and said, I'm going to take it into the fall. I, wanna, I want my stock to rise. You know, being committed. Mm -hmm. Guys don't, people don't talk about you. You kind of drop in the rankings at times. So according to Dylan, he's going to take this thing into the fall, which is a big move for the number one player in America, Jeremiah Smith. He was very candid. I liked when I asked him about why does he respond to the trolls on Twitter, you know, and he had a good answer for that. Um, Jarrett Gibson, Jarrett Gibson, the, the running back out of IMG Academy, yeah. um, some great answers on why he's high on Texas and also why he's high on Miami, not to forget about them. Uh, but all in all, I just enjoyed talking to Mike Math, all these guys. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a very enjoyable day. Um, and, in, uh, incredible experience not only for us but also for the athletes involved and i think that just moving forward this on three nil elite event is going to be the event of the summer moving forward no without question i mean these kids not only did we get a chance to talk to them and get a lot of information on their recruitment but also, I mean, the education they left with in the NIL space. I mean, I had multiple parents and players come up to me like I had something to do with the event. Like I was any way involved like Grant Furking was and just say, thank you. This is one of a kind. We are so much better for having been here. And we'll tell everybody else that we know that's in our same position. Josh, I'm going to throw two more recruits at you that I thought were fascinating. Yeah. Two Ryans for you. Ryan Wingo, who I know Georgia would love to get it sounds like with dylan raiola making a push there as well and then ryan puglisi who is committed to georgia i mean wingo's recruitment is going to obviously be ongoing he's a big time player five-star wide receiver excited to track his recruitment i thought he was phenomenal to sit down with ryan puglisi josh we didn't necessarily go into that interview wanting to have a, a you know in-depth discussion about you know will you leave georgia we kind of were just going to say he's committed to georgia we'll let it ride but he steered the conversation that way saying i'm not going anywhere i'm, I'm going to be a bulldog 
Yeah, you know, it, it, we didn't want to bring up Dylan Raiola, especially in the beginning of the conversation, or maybe at all to Ryan Puglisi, because he committed to the dogs back in October. He's seen Dylan Raiola commit, didn't bat an eye at that. And when he sat down with us in the first question, he managed to bring up Dylan's name mm-hmm. and the fact that he's committed and the fact that he's looking forward to the competition. And I walked away thinking that in no way did I feel that Ryan Puglisi is even going to flinch at the notion that Dylan Raiola could possibly take his spot, which is great to see if you're a Bulldog fan. That's what you want. It, it's not about, uh, you, you know, it just comes down to playing ball. And you could tell with Ryan Puglisi, that's what it's about. He doesn't care about the star rankings. He doesn't care about the rumors. He didn't care about the fact that other teams are hitting him up as soon as Dylan Raiola commits. Ryan Puglisi seems like he's a dog, and I don't think that's going to change. And it felt very healthy. Like, it felt like yeah. one of those, hey, I'm excited to compete. And he, he even said, he's like, I texted Dylan after he committed, and I said, I see why you committed here. I committed here for the same reason. It's a great place to be and play in the SEC under Kirby Smart with all the other talent we have around us. So I'm excited for how Iron's going to sharpen Iron there. Uh, Josh can be a lot of fun. Josh, appreciate all your time. Y'all, if you haven't yet, subscribe to this channel because Josh's show, The Inside Scoop, is a banger multiple times a week. Keep you in the know for all things about the lifeblood of college football that is recruiting. Josh, thanks so much, man. Go get some R&R, brother. Hey, I had a great time covering the event with you, JD. Proud to be a member of this On3 team. Proud to be a member as well. Proud to be on the same team as you, big dog. Josh Newberg, best in the industry when it comes to national recruiting analysts. I'm telling you, make sure you follow him on Twitter. Make sure you're subscribed to the show to, to or channel rather to get his show. You will not be disappointed. Let's keep this party rolling here. Appreciate everybody tuned in live. I'm just going to say this. If everybody tuned in live right now were to just hit that thumbs up under the video, we will have surpassed our goal. So I'm just going to throw that y'all's way. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. Thumbs up under the video helps everybody. All right, so thank you in advance for that. Make sure you're getting your questions as well to the keeper of the queue, Nick Brake. You will not be disappointed. I'll just say that. We're going to make sure we answer a lot of those this time around and get to a lot of your questions, concerns. And we are fresh off this event, so we have a lot of intel, like Josh and I just discussed, as it pertains to the world that is the college football recruiting landscape right now. So make sure you're locked in. Make sure you're getting your, your questions, concerns, thoughts, takes, all that in a bag of chips. All right. Let's keep this thing rolling. Before we get to some of y'all's questions, we talked about the SEC East on our last live show. Let's go ahead and talk about the other side of the SEC, and that's the SEC West. What are the questions that we need answered in the SEC West? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let's kind of go down the line here and talk about it. We think we got to start this whole conversation in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. A lot of people talk about LSU. We'll talk about LSU ourselves here in a second now. But when we sat down with Kirk Herbstreet yesterday, we were aligned in the sense that there's a lot of people looking at Alabama, pulling out the metaphorical clipboard and checking them out and just writing them off. You can hear that pen on my metaphorical clipboard right now. I'm just kind of writing off the Crimson Tide. And I'll tell you what, not the first time it's happened. Not the first time someone's wrote off Nick Saban and said, ah, they're done. Ah, Saban, yeah, games passed him by. And then typically what happens is Nick Saban sort of stretches out, gets loose, and the tide go on a run. So my question for Alabama is how quickly do they get up to speed? Is new necessarily 
bad? Because across the country, that's the assumption. Hey, not the same returning production. Hey, new quarterback, new OC, new DC. Anywhere else in the country, outside of probably Georgia, that would be considered a bad thing. Because you're not as experienced, maybe it's not as talented, going to take a while to cut your teeth, and there may be a maturation process by nature of the question I just asked. But let's make sure we're on the same page here. New at Alabama is not necessarily bad. Want to know why? Because let's go through the on three industry rankings for their recruiting classes since 2019. 2019, top-ranked class. 2020, second-ranked class. 2021, top-ranked class. 2022, second-ranked class. 2023, top-ranked class. You hear a lot of people on the outside saying that might be the best class Saban has ever signed. That's what the streets are saying. So what I'm saying here is the talent in Tuscaloosa the cupboard itself is very, very stocked. Do we know who's playing quarterback? No. Could be Jalen Milrow, could be Tyler Buckner, could be Ty Simpson. All of those guys have a lot of buzz around them out of high school. A lot of those guys were considered to be some of the most talented players at their position out of high school. So don't let a small sample size fool you or no sample size fool you when it comes to Ty Simpson. I've said this before too. I don't think it matters who's playing quarterback quite as much as people want to make it sound. Quarterback's going to have his hands on the wheel. The engine's going to be the offensive line. The defense under Kevin Steele, I think it's going to be see ball, get ball. When you got a whole lot of dudes with stars next to their name that have been developed in that system, having see ball, get ball kind of defense, I think good things are going to happen. So, new, is it bad? I don't think so. But the question is, how quickly do they get up to speed? And what is that new blood for Alabama? What does it look like? Excited to talk about it. Excited to see what happens there. Make sure you're subscribed. I'm going to say this too. Make sure you like the video right now. It would help us help you. High tide, all boats, they rise. It's a good time. We'll keep on moving here. Let's talk about the Tigers of LSU. Brian Kelly and company, they show up. Win total in Las Vegas. You're going through your preseason magazine and you see the LSU in 2020. One going into 2022 in his first year over under win total in Vegas about seven wins that'd be improvement they won six games the year before that'd be improvement for the Tigers Brian Kelly says hmm I'll see that I'll go ahead and win double digit games all the good people that put money on the Tigers to win over seven games you cashed in and you cashed in with room to spare but here is my question for LSU are we past the growing pains are we really past the growing pains? Multiple wins for LSU by one score. I also lost that game by one score against Florida State. Y'all will get a chance to get them back. But you hear what I'm saying. There was supposed to be this whole maturation process. There was supposed to be this whole deal where LSU kind of got back to being LSU. And we were saying, yeah, if they win eight games, amazing. If they win eight games, that'd be so great for our friends in Baton Rouge. But then they win 10 games, or I guess it was, yeah, they win 10 games to play for an SEC title. Well, now a lot of people are saying, well, well, well what happens now? Well, what happens now? I mean, are we, are we, have we just ahead of schedule? My question is for LSU, the talent is in a great spot, I believe. The culture itself, what did we see last year from LSU in the games that they lost? It was kind of like you're watching LSU, and there were times where they just sort of turned it on. I go back to that meme all the time where it's the guy who's leaning back in the chair playing a video game, and then when he really wants to get into it, when he wants to actually start playing, 
leans forward. We've all been there. We've all done that. It felt like that was LSU in the second half of the season. It felt like that was LSU a lot of times in the second half of games. Florida State, one of those games. Ole Miss, one of those games. Auburn, one of those games. Like, LSU had this moment where they had to flip the switch. And so my question is, is the flip switched permanently? Is the growing pains, are we past all that? Are we past the growing pains? Or is it going to be a thing where we still are wondering which LSU team shows up? Because that LSU team that lost to AM last year had no business losing to Texas AM. I think that was LSU taking their eye off the ball, and you saw what happened on the field. So that's the question for LSU. I'm not worried about talent. I'm worried about the psyche. Are we actually past all those growing pains? Is that reflected in the record that we saw last year? Or is it, hey, we're still kind of trying to get this thing to be doing things Brian Kelly's way? Spoiler alert, Brian Kelly's way is going to win you a lot of football games every single year. So that's LSU for you. The Auburn Tigers, from one Tiger to another, we got to talk about the Tigers here. LSU fans, excuse me, Auburn fans, we had a good conversation, I think, on our last show on Tuesday. And I think that we got to kind of see eye to eye a little bit better. I feel good about where we're at relationally, myself and the Auburn fan base. So I'm glad that we're on good terms here. But the Auburn Tigers, my question is, how stable is that floor? When I say floor, I mean the floor of the roster talent-wise. Because Hugh Freeze showed up in Auburn, Alabama, rubbed his hands together, saw the transfer portal, and said, let's go to work, boys. Went and got himself a top-five portal class. There's somewhere around 19 transfers that have transferred into Auburn, Alabama. A lot of those dudes, top guys at their position. Peyton Thorne can be your quarterback, more than likely. So... They've really, they've really done a lot to, to stock the cupboard the way that Brian Harson maybe didn't stock the cupboard as much as you would hope if you're an Auburn fan. But with that being said, now you got some more ingredients to play with. It's like you take a boat and it had some holes in the bottom. It had some floorboards that weren't going to hold if you got out to sea or got into a storm. And Hugh Freeze, take a look at the boat, get some new ingredients, really shore that thing up a lot and you feel a lot more sturdy, but you still got to push that thing out to the water. Still got to take that thing out to the storm that is the SEC, much less the SEC West. Curious to hear how much that talent is able to translate and mesh because this is one of the reasons why I had to have a conversation with the Auburn fans. Your quarterback, likely your starting quarterback, Peyton Thorne, he got there after one of the most crucial periods of your season, which is spring football. Peyton Thorne is now playing catch-up with the playbook at Auburn and getting acclimated to the locker room at Auburn and the way Auburn does things. Like, it's, it's a process to get totally in with your team from a scheme standpoint, like I said, from a locker room standpoint. There's a lot that goes into that. So not just Peyton Thorne, but other players as well that you added post-spring practice are trying to get up to speed. A lot of those guys that are going to contribute for you in a big way, or you needed to contribute for you in a big way if you want to get over that win total. So that's Auburn for you. I think the talent roster is improved, but curious how stable that floor is. All right, Texas A&M. Here's my question for you. Is it really that simple? Is it really that simple in College Station? We've heard so much about the talent they have, and talent is great, but talent only gets you so far. And last year, the number one complaint for Texas A&M fans is, what the heck are we doing on the offensive side of the football? What is going on when we got the ball? Because it felt like we got all this talent. We got Evan Stewart, who I think is going to have a tremendous year. Why are we not scoring more points? 
Why aren't we converting on third down? Why are we so far below average with all the talent we have? And so, whether he was forced to or not, Bobby Petrino enters into the fray to be your offensive coordinator. And I've said this once. I'll say it again. The way I think about A&M, it's like going to the chiropractor. Maybe you're a good athlete. And for whatever reason, you're just kind of feeling misaligned. You're sore. You got some nicks and bruises, and you just don't feel like yourself. Go to the chiropractor, one appointment, a little crack here, a little crack there. Get the neck going a little bit. You know, they do that thing where they kind of pop your neck into place, whatever it is. I don't know. It kind of freaks me out. But you know what I'm talking about. You come out of that chiropractor appointment, you feel like a new person. And it wasn't like you went and got surgery. You just got a few things tweaked in the right direction. Just a couple of tweaks, a couple of tune-ups to you, and you were good to go. Is that what it is with the Texas A&M offense? I said in that chiropractor analogy, you're a good athlete. Same thing with Texas A&M. they got a lot of talent offensively. Got a lot of talent on this roster with how well they've recruited over the last couple of years. I know the 2023 cycle is going to be what a lot of y'all in the comment section say and say, oh, well, they were number 15. Yeah, before that, though, they were living in the top 10 like it was their job. So not everybody's transferred out of College Station. I believe in Connor Wegman, and I'm just curious to see if that tweak on the offensive side of the ball, bringing in Bobby Petrino, if he does, in fact, get the sticks to the offense, is he able to make A&M a force in the SEC West? Curious to see. Now, Ole Miss does not get nearly enough love on this show. So for all my good people in Oxford that are watching this show right now, we love y'all, and we hope you're subscribed. But Lane Kiffin, to me, is must-see TV must follow on Twitter. Like, I, I love Lane Kiffin. I'll just say that. I think he is hysterical. I think he's great for college football. My question for Ole Miss is, what is the next evolution? What does it look like? Because there's few certainties in life. And it's death, taxes, and Lane Kiffin coaching offensive football. And he does it really well. Okay? So, with Lane Kiffin, last year the offense scored a lot of points. I believe they were in the top 10 in terms of yards per a game. But my question is, evolution-wise, they need to be, I think, a different brand of football if they want to compete for the SEC West. Because last year, you had Quinshawn Judkins, Zach Evans, and you fed them like, like, like a newborn baby. I mean, you made sure they were eating all the time. And so with that being said now, weird analogy, stick with me. With that being said, I think Ole Miss might need to reevaluate their balance offensively, because they ran the ball 60% of the time in 2022. I mean, like it was Ole Miss, and then it was Air Force, Army, Navy, all kind of grouped together with how much they ran the football. So with that being said now, for Ole Miss, that's great if you want to run the football. I think you have to run the football to be successful in the SEC. But to be elite in the SEC, you got to have balance, because there's some good defensive lines you're going to run into. And if you are a one-trick pony going up against Georgia, going up against Bama, going up against LSU and the freak shows they have on the defensive line, like that's not going to be a sustainable way to get through that entire conference. So I like Ole Miss. I'm curious to see who starts at quarterback. Seems to be a lot of buzz around Jackson Dart. I'm also sitting here saying I don't think Spencer Sanders came into Ole Miss as a transfer portal quarterback for no reason. They're both still there. So... At this point in time, like that's that's the situation. You got both those guys on the roster, which a lot of people said couldn't be done post spring. They gotta be able they gotta be able to have some balance. Just has to happen for Ole Miss. So last thing I want to look at here, and we don't have a 
a graphic for these guys, but I want to talk about them just a little bit. Got Arkansas, got Mississippi State. I'm going to talk about them in the same way. What do those teams have in common? What do they have in common? Both wear shades of red. Yes, they both have a quarterback. Arkansas has got KJ Jefferson. Mississippi State's got Will Rogers. KJ Jefferson was the reason why a lot of people in Arkansas circles and heck in SEC circles felt like they were a dark horse to maybe even compete for an SEC title, win double digit games. But KJ Jefferson wasn't healthy. One thing led to another, and Arkansas didn't have the season that a lot of people hoped they would have. KJ Jefferson, if he stays healthy, even though they lost a lot of pieces, I think he gives you a chance in every single game. Same thing with Will Rogers. Proven commodity, thrown for 82 touchdowns in his career at Mississippi State. Offense is going to change now, be a little bit more pro style. The over-under win total for both these teams, Arkansas is at 7.5. Mississippi State, 6.5. So Vegas is telling you, hey, make a bowl game. That's great for both these teams. I'll say this. I don't expect either of these teams to win the SEC, but I will very confidently say one of these teams will ruin somebody else's chances of winning the SEC. Because you and I both know it, one team's going to walk in there on a sleepy Saturday and see Will Rogers, and Will Rogers don't care. He'll be dealing, and he'll make you go home unhappy on the bus. Same thing with KJ Jefferson in Arkansas. If you, if you want to show up lackluster against a grown man like that, both running and throwing the football, it's going to be a sad bus ride home. So both those dudes, you got to make sure you are not looking past. Mississippi State, Arkansas, who knows what they're going to be as a team, but having those quarterbacks always going to have a chance to win the ballgame. We'll leave it at that. Appreciate everybody tuned in live right now. Appreciate all my good people on podcast. I'll just say y'all have been cooking in the podcast world. It's not quite as out there in terms of our metrics. I know YouTube, you can kind of just look at how many views we have and how many subscribers, and, and you can kind of have a gauge for how we're doing. On podcast, Apple and Spotify, y'all are crushing. We're getting closer to the season, and y'all are continuing to roll with us. So we appreciate you for that. Make sure you get in your questions right now, because we're about to answer a lot of them. The keeper of the queue, Nick Brake, back on the air. Nick, how we doing, my man? JD, I'm good, man. I'm tired, but I'm good. I'm ready to go. I, before we ask any questions, I do want to shout out one of our uh, people in, in the chat today. Sean Nelson has set what must be a record for, for chats sent in the group. All of them <laughs> great points. He came in this morning and said, good morning, JD. Let's talk college football. I'm ready. Um, ready he was. It's I'm going to start with guy. Sean because... Uh, they asked the most questions, um, and I was looking around thinking which one I think I might be the best, and I've landed on this one. Do you think Tommy Reese can help Alabama and go back to the national championship title reign with these quarterbacks, and do you think, this is the question I like the best, do you think all three will play this season? Ooh, Sean, good question, my guy. I'll start with the first thing you said there, Nick, with, with Sean Nelson. Sean, program guy, we appreciate you. He's also, I saw, he, I picked up the live chat. He's like rallying the troops to get us to yes. 100 likes. Like he yeah. is just grinding. So, Sean, we appreciate you. Very, very excited to jump into this question. Uh, the way I'm going to interpret this is, do I think they all see the field at some point in time? Yes, I don't know that we're going to see them all start a game. Like I would be very surprised if we saw Simpson, Milrow, and Buckner all start a game. Now, I think Jalen Milrow, if he doesn't start, 
probably has packages where he gets you know design quarterback runs just how physical he is and how good of an athlete he is probably needs to have the ball in his hands whether he starts or not Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner, I think probably offer a similar skill set to a degree. Now, I say that without having a great gauge for what Ty Simpson is going to be because we haven't seen him in a game yet. But I don't think they'll, they will all start for you. I think we'll see them all in games at different points in time, whether it's mop-up duty or whether it's, you know, we, we got to make a switch at half because we're not having much success on offense. We'll see them. I don't know that we see them all start a game, though. But, Sean, that's a great question keep leading the charge we appreciate you for that absolutely um next question this is a good one too um just asked i don't want to miss it so i'm going to go ahead and ask it austin somerville how will clemson impact the sec if they join Ooh, say this now that's a big fish that you add to the sec i mean captain obvious here clemson with the brand power they have if they were to join the sec i think that you probably you probably, I mean, you, you just hate to draw Clemson is all I would say. Like, what's the impact? I think it's a major impact. Because think about this. College football, to me, what sustained success looks like is commitment from your athletic department, from your school, your resources. Okay, Clemson, check. And having a great head coach. Having someone that you know year in and year out is going to recruit and going to put together a good staff and has a proven track record. Okay, it's Dabo Sweeney. So as long as you have those two things, Clemson is going to be a force – where do they fit in the SEC if they were to join tomorrow? I mean, I guess that kind of depends on what Kate Klubnik ends up being. But I think Clemson, if they were to join the SEC, they would definitely be a, a huge ripple. And I think they'd probably be in that upper tier, if we're being honest with you. I think they'd probably be somewhere in that quadrant one with the rest of those big dogs. So I'm excited to see what happens there, Nick. But yeah, Clemson to the SEC, what would be the impact? Be huge. It'd be huge. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to ask a, f- a few more, right, J.D.? You Let's do it, that? Okay, I'm going to end with Michael Hart's question. We'll come to back that later. But first, um, Kay said, hashtag AskJD. Uh, ask two questions. I like this one a lot. What are the components of a great offensive coordinator that has head coach potential? Ooh, very good question. What are the components of an offensive coordinator that has head coach potential? potential the first thing that I would say got to have an evolved take on the offense you're running and what I mean by that is whatever you run offensively has to be up to speed with modern college football defenses and Kirk Herbstreit said that during his interview he's like I think we're going to see more and more of these teams mimicking what Tennessee's doing, what Oklahoma's doing. Like, that's kind of the flavor right now. So you got to be able to combat these defenses that are continuing to evolve as well, so have a modern outlook on things. I think also you got to have a commitment to recruiting. We see a lot of these coaches now that have just gotten head coaching jobs, whether it be Dan Lanning when he was a D.C. at Georgia, or I'm trying to go through the list here. I mean, Josh Heupel, when, when he was the O.C. at UCF, and now he's at Tennessee, like – I know those are kind of examples we just talked about with their offensive scheme, but there's a reason they checked those boxes. They are all in on recruiting. All in on recruiting. They know it has to happen. So I'll go ahead and take it a step further. The next guy that I think is going to get a head coaching job, if not next year, I think in the next two years, is going to be Garrett Riley. For reasons I just told you, really good at being up to speed with how these teams are running their offenses now in terms of the modern philosophy with spread you out and go up tempo. And I believe he will make a commitment to recruiting to recruiting as well. So that's kind of where I, where I fall on that. I think also if you want to talk about 
you know, components to, you know, their, their, their history. I think there is something to be said for coaching at an institution where there's a spotlight. Like I think Garrett Riley probably could have taken, or at least been in the conversation for a couple head coaching jobs this Mm -hmm. past season, but now with him at Clemson and that brand being bigger and that spotlight being brighter and hotter, I think he's going to be on a lot of teams wish list if they are successful at Clemson offensively. And again, I think they will be. So those are kind of the, the ingredients that I look for. That's a great question. JD, I have got one that it's going to be pretty obvious why I think this, um, man, I've just been watching this slow rise of Zach Kitley for like the last three or four years. Houston Baptist had a great year there. WKU, who really do a good job at finding coordinators. Uh, I covered them for four years, obviously, in college. Um, Bring him in. Um, he brings Bailey Zappi with, from Houston Baptist. They have a great year together. Then he goes to Texas Tech, keeping things going, J.D. I think he'll be a head coach uh, within the next three or four years, maybe get another bigger OC job. What do you think, J.D.? No, man, I, th- I think you're exactly right. I mean, depending on how much success they have at Texas Tech, like I would venture to say if you talk to Joy McGuire, head coach of Texas Tech, mm-hmm. in a closed room and said, hey, coach, just you and me, how long are you keeping Zach Kittley for? How long will you be able to keep Zach Kittley for as an OC? I think he would just kind of shake his head and be like, long as we can, brother. Long as we can. Because I think you're, you're on the money there, Nick. Mm-hmm. I mean, checks the box with modern philosophy. Um, he's a guy that I, I believe is going to also have a commitment to recruiting. I mean, he checks mm-hmm. a lot of boxes. Going to be hard to hang on to him, Nick. And people want to play with him. People want to play yeah. with him. I want, I want to go play receiver in that offense. Heck, yeah. I, want go, I want to play quarterback in that offense, go wing it around the yard a little bit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, J.D., this is another good question. Uh, this one is coming from Sean Sexton. Which quarterback will play a bigger factor in week one uh, in Florida State LSU? I'll say this. I love the banter we're getting on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'll tweet something about LSU, Florida State fans in the mentions. Tweet something about Florida State LSU fans in the mentions. And they're not even rivals, but just no. the juice around this game it, right it's now. It's week the one buzz, already, J.D. It's palpable, man. It's it's already in midseason form, the kind of banter we have going in the Twitter sphere. So really quickly before we answer this, make sure you like the video. If everyone likes the video, we'll get to our goal. Appreciate you for that. Okay. I think that it's going to be more on Jane Daniels. I really do. I think so much of the offense goes through him. And when he was on his game last year, LSU was, I think, one of the best teams in the country. And they finished that way. I mean, obviously playing for the SEC title probably puts you in the best teams in the country category. But when he was on, if he was unhitching the wagon and pushing it deep, like LSU was a different team. I think Jordan Travis will have more balance around him. I think he's going to be a guy that obviously, you know, creates a ton of noise and headlines throughout the season, should have a great year. But I'll go ahead and say Jaden Daniels is it's more important for him to be on that day than maybe Jordan Travis. I'll say this too, Nick. This isn't necessarily in regards to the question, mm-hmm. but tweeted out something the other day about Harold Perkins and him being the answer for LSU last year and how they addressed mobile quarterbacks. Well, it got some, you know, some traction on Twitter and people are liking it, retweeting it, and I get a notification that a one Jordan Travis <laughs> dropped a like on that video. Nice. So I think Jordan Travis, if I'm reading the tea leaves here, reading between the lines, Jordan mm-hmm. Travis is saying, okay, you think that's the answer for me as a mobile quarterback? All right, bet. Didn't comment, didn't retweet, just threw it a like. So I don't know. 
take of that as you will. Yep. But you said we got one more here, Nick. You want to land the plane here? Yeah, but again, I got to shout out Sean Nelson. Everyone liked the video Let's from go, Sean. Sean. Man, Sean is the goat. Um, yeah, I've got one more. This is a good one. Uh, Michael Hartz, hashtag AskJD. Need your personal opinion here. Which college coach do you think could throw the best backyard barbecue to recruit high school athletes? Mm. Hypel is the early favorite in the chat from K. Uh, what do you think? That's a great question. Who could throw the best backyard barbecue to recruit? Man. So Lincoln Riley has got a – or he, he went viral, I guess, on Twitter a year ago because he served up some steak – and the people on Twitter were not satisfied with the way that that steak was cooked. They thought it was much too done. So we're going to go ahead and pass on Lincoln Riley being the answer to this question. I, I, I lean SEC here, Nick, just because of the nature of it Me being too. in the Southeast. Like, yeah. you feel like you got to do that probably, right? Mm -hmm. This is a tough question, man. You're thinking too hard. This is a tough think? question. I'm th you think so? You think I'm too oh, hard? Yeah. I think I'm thinking too hard about this? You can go any of the SEC coaches. Any of the SEC coaches, you're Maybe probably Maybe not Brian right. Kelly. You said not Brian Kelly. Probably not. I'd, I'd lean Jimbo. Maybe, Jimbo's a maybe good Lane one. Maybe Lane Kiffin. You know, if you have a visor like that, you probably can cook some good ribs. I feel like Kiffin's going to cater in something nice. You think so? Like, I don't know if Kiffin's going to cook it, oh, but he might know. get us, like, top-shelf barbecue no. from his favorite spot. Mm -hmm. He'll rent out the restaurant, something like that. He's got a big green egg grill. You know he does. Does he, you think? Yeah, man. You <laughs> On know top what? of others. Gosh. This is, this, I, really think, I think I am thinking too hard about this question, Nick. I'll roll with you and say, I'll say Jimbo. We'll say Jimbo Fisher is kind of in the SEC country, but also in College Station. Good barbecue in College Station. Mm -hmm. We'll say Jimbo Fisher with our right reserve to change that at any point in time when yeah. we see something on Twitter. We'll about a barbecue we'll How's go that, on Nick? tour we'll, we'll just start going to visit these coaches and, and have some cookouts <laughs> i like that idea yeah. i like that idea a lot nick well nick appreciate you holding it down appreciate you getting all these questions out there for the good folks at home mm -hmm. and uh we'll do this again on tuesday we shall i'll see you tuesday man appreciate you nick nick absolute machine I'm telling you, man, it was like nine, ten hours. He's sitting in the corner making sure the audio is nice for all the interviews we're doing. He's hustling late night, getting everything chopped up and making sure it's all right for the, the videos that we had to put out for y'all because we wanted to get that out for you as soon as possible. So there was, you know, time kind of of the essence. Nick Brake, Trey Anity, both just machine-like in the way they approach their work. Nick's got to be running on very, very low sleepage right now. So appreciate you, Nick, for doing all that you do. Appreciate y'all, man. Y'all got after it in the chat yet again. Appreciate y'all making this podcast hum lately. Like everybody on Apple and on Spotify, drop a five-star review on your way out. Leave us a comment on, on what you want to see on this show. But just truly, thank you for the way that y'all have continued to push this thing forward. Appreciate y'all in the live chat. Make sure you like the video on the way out of here. We're going to be back on the air on Tuesday. So come back and see us. We'll have a good time. But until then, we're going to keep this party rolling. And we will see y'all 